This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. While becoming an entrepreneur may be the new goal on everyone's mind, we rarely pause to ask ourselves what it actually takes to become a founder or owner of a business. Luckily, our next guest reveals the combination of experiences that helped him develop the entrepreneurial traits he has today. I'm so excited to welcome Jimmy Dong, Onto the show today. Jimmy is the CEO and founder of Syncio, an e-commerce platform that connects online stores through real-time inventory, product, and order syncing. In this episode, Jimmy shares the stories behind his various startups. He reveals how we can become more proactive and the qualities budding entrepreneurs need to possess in order to thrive. In this episode, Jimmy shares the stories behind his various startups. He reveals how we can become more proactive and the qualities budding entrepreneurs need to possess in order to thrive. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without any further ado... Here is my conversation with the brilliant Jimmy Zong. Jimmy, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Michelle. Lovely to be here. Great. Awesome. So, you know, you and I connected recently through one of our past podcast guests, Nick Chang. Yep. And then we realized that you actually went to uni with my sister. <laughs> and then we also realized that Ruby, another one of our podcast guests that we've had on today, um, when we're filming today, is your wife. We're so connected, Jimmy. <laughs> It's meant to be, Michelle. It's meant to be. Small world. Well, look, Jimmy, I really appreciate you making the time today. And I I want to, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, I'd love to start with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Syncio. It's a platform that is connecting the world of e-commerce. And we're doing that through making inventory really shareable and accessible for online stores to basically cross-sell and cross-market together. So just a, I'll use an example just to explain it a bit further. So if you sell T-shirts and you have an online T-shirt store and I'm an online retailer, with Syncio, I can, with a click, sync your T-shirts onto my online store. And the product information, like the title, images, price, inventory, all that kind of stuff is all pulled automatically to my store. If a customer orders from my store, that order automatically goes back to you to fulfill. If you sold out of your T-shirt, that T-shirt is sold out in real time on my store as well. So we automate all that sort of back-end process. Very cool. Love that. And I can't wait to dive deeper into Syncio today and dive more into how you built the business and where you're at with things. But before we do, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, what did your parents do? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, well, that's pretty interesting because I, I'd only just recently found out about what my parents do, or <laughs> uh, well, namely my dad. So, um, so my dad came to Australia as a Vietnamese refugee and 
Then he went to China, and that's how he met my mum. I was born in China, came to Australia. So my dad came back to Melbourne when I was 10 months old. And so we kind of reestablished ourselves in, in Melbourne. Um, shortly afterwards, uh, fortunately, my mum my left the family. And so it was just dad and myself. And um, yeah, we, we, we didn't have uh, like a, a sort of like, sort of like typical sort of upbringing. Um, we kind of like stayed in housing commission for, for my first 25 years actually. Wow. And um, I didn't really know too much about what my dad did in, in Vietnam um, before the war. Uh, but, you know, through Australia, I think, um, yeah, he had a pretty tough time and um, had some physical sort of like uh, limitations that made him, made him hard to be employable. And so it was um, quite a kind of like a humble kind of upbringing for myself. Um, I only found out what he did when I revealed to him that I'd, I'm, like I'm about to start my own business and my own startup. And, um, you know, I was very scared about like his reaction because, you know, we come from a poor background and, um, you know, like it, it, it was, it meant the world for him um, to see me graduate university and then get a, you know, corporate job and live a, like a much more comfortable life. And, um, you know, for me to kind of tell him that, like I'm throwing that away and, you know, that, that, that was probably one of the scarier moments of my life just to see what his reaction would be. Um, and, you know, like, it, you know, his, to, to his credit, his reaction was amazing. Um, he was very understanding. And then, you know, he told me that, like, like I knew that he had a very good kind of, like, um, he was very successful in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, he, he basically just, you know, like, told me that, like, I totally understand your decision. Um, you know, I, so what he used to do in Vietnam was uh, he used to sell, like, radios. Um, sounds like not that impressive, but like in Vietnam in the 50s and mm. the 60s, that's like the, the radio is kind of like, a, you know, iPhone <laughs> type yes. thing, like an Apple product. Um, and so like um, he, he built quite, quite a lot of wealth from that and uh, very entrepreneurial. Um, his family before that uh, migrated from China to Vietnam and basically, um, you know, had rice paddies and sold rice. And so like they were also quite wealthy. And so like... I, I didn't realize there was such an entrepreneurial type, um, you know, like uh, lineage um, before me. So he totally understood that, like, you know, he wanted, like, I wanted to um, seek more fulfillment, uh, more purpose and, and more control over my own life. And um, so like, I guess, like, I, I found out only recently what my, what my, my dad's background was. And it makes sense. And, and you know, the dots connected mm -hmm. after that. Huge. I think that it's always so interesting to ask that question. And your story is all like so interesting because I think whether we like it or not, our parents and how we were brought up, it really does affect who we end up becoming and what we end up doing and our trajectories. And I think I think my question to you is is how do you how do you think you would have gone starting out on this entrepreneurial journey, not knowing that, you know, do you think, how do you think that would have affected you? Yeah, I, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> I need a, I need a moment to think mm. about that. I, I guess w without my dad explicitly saying or, or telling me his journey, um, I think I picked up a lot of like his traits mm. that were, that probably, you know, like contributed to his own success. Um, you know, things like uh, he, he was uh, like the leader of the family. We have a large sort of family um, and he's the oldest son. So traditionally, you know, like he'd look after the, the family, especially with my grandfather passing away quite early on. Uh, I've never met my grandfather. So, um, you know, like I picked up a lot of his leadership qualities um, extension to the leadership he'd be very supportive of everyone and think of other people before him mm -hmm. so like I think very early on I was like okay um, it's all about you know thinking about the, the the wider community or you know the wider family he I think I also picked up a lot of the um, innovative traits 
um, from him. So he'd, he'd be very good at like finding like process improvements, <laughs> um, <laughs> shortcuts to things, um, even little things like, you know, washing the dishes, like instead of, uh, if you can, like avoid stacking the dishes because then you just increase the surface area that you need to wash, you know, things like that. So, you, you know, you, you know, you kind of cut like 10 seconds for each dish. And so you spend, you, you, you save more time, um, you know, like, uh, say, uh, washing dishes and you can spend that time on something else. Mm. So like, I think, you know, like it's, the, it's those type of things that like I picked up on and that probably ultimately led to me, um, you know, find like going the entrepreneurial path without actually really knowing and being taught to, to, to be this type of person or, or like, you know, live a life in that, in that direction. Yeah. I find it so interesting. And I think that I so resonate in a way with what you're saying, because I think my parents were also entrepreneurs, but you know, it, it's the things that we don't even realize that we're doing, or maybe it's a side hustle at the time, or maybe it's not even that, maybe it's just a passion project that we take so seriously and we, we approach it in a certain way because it's almost like we've seen it being done before. Like subconsciously, we've got all these traits, but we don't even, we, we don't even realize that that may be the case. Yeah. So it's clear that that was similar. We obviously both have that similar experience there. So Super cool. So I want to dive a bit deeper into before you kind of realized all this um, and you kind of built your way up to go study at university and, and your decision there. Talk to us a little bit about kind of the late high school, early uni days. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very interesting time. School, school was, yeah, like probably not like your, like when I think about this, like... <laughs> Well, when I was in high school, it was just mm. so many zigzags and um, quite fortunate to kind of survive mm -hmm. high school. Like I was very disengaged. Um, I only went to uni just so that I didn't break my dad's heart. Yeah, like that, like yeah, I really didn't want to be at school. Um, a lot of the time in my, my high school uh, life and early uni was just spent hanging out with friends, you know, like that <laughs> friends were my life pretty much. And, um, but, you know, I'd, I'd studied enough in year 12 to, to get into uni. Um, and uh, through uni, that was also just, you know, really random, um, very lucky. My first few years at uni, I, you know, just barely scraping a pass um, until there was actually a very defining moment of my, I guess, uni and then professional career. Um, you know, every semester I'd come in saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus, <laughs> I'm going to study and get some good grades. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to be in a group uh, with like some very high, high achievers. And they'd, without me knowing, they'd actually wanted to, you know, um, be elected into like the, the faculty uni association. One of them actually mistaken me for someone else. And so I got this phone call late oh. one night um, asking me to, you know, like he'd, he'd be like, hey, hey, Jimmy, um, this is pretty random, but we're going to, we're going for, you know, committee at this faculty student association and um, no one wants to be president and we thought that you, like, you'd be the perfect president. <laughs> like, would you like to do that? Like, would you like to, you know, be the president of this? And I'm like, okay, uh, I've not heard of this faculty um, association before. But, and I have no idea what's, what's entailed with this responsibility, um, but let's, why not? Let's just, let's <laughs> give it a shot. So then I, I went for committee. We, you know, it was like a full election and all mm. that kind of stuff. Every single uh, committee member role had like competition, except the president. <laughs> so I basically like, it was just like unanimous. <laughs> like there was no other person that wanted to go for president. So I just got elected by default as president. And um, this was, you know, like a thousand plus member association. It was a, you know, traditionally very uh, successful and uh, reputable faculty, faculty association. So uh, there was a lot of responsibility. And I think like that moment, I think I probably just flipped into a different persona. Mm. And that actually motivated me to go to uni 
I went to every single class, every single lecture, basically sat at the front because I was just so scared that like, you know, no one would, would go to any of our events or like, like, I'd, like the, the association would lose um, their reputation because their president was a dropkick. And I'd actually had to just like become this persona where like I was very studious, um, high achieving, and it actually happened. So my grades completely turned um, 180 and I actually just became like quite a high achieving person to the point where, you know, I got into like it, it like I, got, I recovered my average grade <laughs> to the point where like I could actually get a job. And, um, you know, like I, I remember going to some of the assessment centers for, you know, some of the like a big companies and everyone's just like, oh shit, like it's Jimmy. Like, wow. <laughs> so like, it was just like, wow. but like, you know, it, it just came from something that was completely random, uh, pretty, pretty lucky, but like, but also, you know, you have to just sometimes just say yes to things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that completely changed my, my trajectory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So fascinating. I think that, I think it's often when we're given, not given, but we have to step into like a leadership role or we have a responsibility that we, you know, we can't let other people's down, other people down. I think it's often then that we kind of go, oh, goodness, I better step up. You know, for our peers out there listening who maybe they weren't so lucky and, and didn't, you know, have the opportunity to step into a leadership role or to get some type of um, opportunity that would allow them to kind of step up, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, I think you just, you have to be proactive. Mm. So what happened with me didn't happen to, you know, hundreds of other students, right, at the same time, like studying. So like maybe there were some at the time that wanted to be present, but never, you know, didn't, didn't seek it out. So honestly, if someone actually just put their hand up and then, you know, like I had to run for president with some other person, I probably would have lost. So it's, it's just one of those where you, you have to be proactive and you have to seek these opportunities. There will always be opportunities, I believe. Um, some of them will, will change. Um, actually, inevitably will change. Mm -hmm. They're all different opportunities, but you have to actually open your eyes and, and seek them yourself and you will get something, like, but only after being proactive and, and doing something about it. Mm. I love that. And how can we get proactive? Like, what can we do? Yeah, so um, I think it's just trying to be resourceful mm. so you know like say like if you wanted to be president of a student society or faculty association or something like that you know they'll the information's available there so you either talk to people you talk to maybe talk to a, a former like you know last year's committee about how to get involved talk to lecturers talk to tutors um might be on Google, like, yeah, like, you know, you just got to be resourceful and find information. It's pretty easy to find information these days. So yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, that's one way, but like also try and find the right sort of network as well. Mm. I think that's, I mean, just thinking about it now, like it's pretty underrated. Just like I was, I lucked into like being in the right kind of environment where you know, I was in a group assignment with people that are high achievers or like they were doing something that I ultimately wanted to do. You don't have to, you know, let luck, you know, play 100% of that role. Like you can just basically jump into those type of like, you know, those, uh, those networks. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And I think there's also something to say. I mean, you're just so humble, Jimmy, <laughs> around you like, it's all luck. I think there's also something to say about the fact that that opportunity presented itself and you jumped into it and you were like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to make this happen. And I think that's that paralleled in obviously a bit later on when you obviously had that decision of, should I stay in my corporate career or should I just dive headfirst into a business that maybe won't work out? And, you know, and so I think that's totally credit to you as well. 
I'd love to kind of talk about that transition there and I guess how you felt um, so a bit later on once you'd gotten into corporate, you got through to that big company and, you know, you kind of probably thought, yes, I made it. You know, what were those couple of years like? So if I'm not mistaken, it was management consulting at KPMG. You were almost there for about five years, a solid Mm. period of time. Talk to us a little bit about that experience there and then, yeah, how it led you to kind of make that change. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, the day that I got the offer to to join KPMG was one of the happiest days of my life. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, one of the most defining moments of my life. And, you know, jumping into into that career, it it really met expectations. Yeah, it was it was an amazing time of my life. I, I learned so much. Uh, I really enjoyed working on really interesting sort of client problems. Uh, the clients were, you know, large corporates or governments. Um, the, peop- the people that I worked with were world-class as well. It, it was just an extremely great time to, to work there. And I think the, the genesis of me leaving ultimately to, to, to pursue my own startup, you know, it was also, you know, like um, heavily tied to my time at KPMG. So, you know, like, um, I think it's, I think K, what KPMG did was expand my ambition. Um, I don't think they, they intended it in that way. <laughs> but like, um, what I mean is when I first joined KPMG, my goal was to be partner. Mm. But then when... Often is. Yeah, often is, <laughs> yeah. And, and that would have been a, a fantastic career path, but... Mm. Um, it also opened up my eyes to other things. Mm. You know, like we often have, you know, like uh, colleagues that joined that had, you know, did their own startups or like have some sort of hide, uh, side hustle. And, and I was like, oh, wow, you can do more things. Um, there's the, more than just, you know, consulting out there. Um, working with people, you know, like on my team, like I, I was fortunate to work on, on teams that like had lots of people that are very innovative. Mm. So we're constantly just trying to problem solve things, you know, walking past 7-Eleven, we just like pick a random product and try and like just improve that product. Uh, things like that are just like, I think just really, really accelerated my thinking around, okay, like let's just look at everything and see what we can solve. Yeah. Huge. How important is having a problem solving mindset? It's extremely important extremely important it's it makes things interesting Mm. there's always things to to solve or to improve and I think that's that's one of the the unbelievable qualities of humanity Mm. you know we we don't kind of just accept the status quo we're always trying to do things to improve our lives um, to to other people's lives to you know, the, the, the world as well. So without problem solving, without having that problem solving mindset, seeking problems to solve, uh, we wouldn't be here today, I don't think. Yeah, We'd, it, it'd be a completely different parallel, yeah. Mm. So too. It's, it's so interesting. So I want to talk a bit about that first problem that you were pulled to solve so much so that you left your corporate career. You know, talk to us a little bit about that time there. What was that problem? How did you feel about it? And how did you make that transition? Yeah, so I think towards the end of my KPMG, I had this kind of like, um, I guess, uh, engineer's envy. (laughs) Um, You know, I wanted to build something and, um, you know, like, you know, just do something like in, around that area or that space. And, you know, like my friend uh, from, from uni just like caught up with me for lunch one day and I didn't know what it was about. And he, and we don't really catch up, but like, you know, he was just like, hey, Jimmy, let's catch up. I'm like, yeah, cool. And he just then talked about this uh, Dutch auction that he'd uh, heard about from his brother who'd just come back from Europe and he, I'd never heard of a Dutch auction. So Dutch auction, how it works is uh, instead of like the price 
going up, it started at the highest point and the price would drop in, in regular time intervals and the first bidder wins. So essentially, like, you know, if you have like a, a dress, it retails $100, the auction will start at $100 and the price might drop like $5 every 10 minutes or something. And you might want it for $75 and, you know, if it drops to $75 and you're the first bidder to bid, then you get that dress. But you don't know if someone else is happy to pay and bid at $85. So it's like that whole kind of like game of chicken. <laughs> and um, when I first heard about it, wow, that's like pretty, pretty interesting, pretty intriguing. And it's a really cool way to, I guess, like meet supply and demand. Mm. And so, so that was, you know, that's, that was like the beginning of the, like my first startup called Akagu. Mm. And we, this is something that like in hindsight, we, uh, and no one should really do. Like we, we kind of found a solution, but we didn't, didn't have a problem. <laughs> so okay. we, we knew that like, you know, okay, Dutch auction works because, you know, it's been used for centuries. You know, it caused the first economic bubble. Um, through overinflating tulip prices in Holland, and it's still used today um, to sell, still sell flowers in the flower wholesale market and fish wholesale markets. It's just never really been, you know, used online, so or not successfully. So we wanted to bring that online. We didn't know where to start. We didn't know which industry, what to sell. We could sell anything in theory. So. Um, we, 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 de we then tested and, and um, went out to all these different uh, industries. So initially we went out to, uh, what did we do? We ended up uh, choosing tourism, so hotels or airlines um, to sell air, air, airplane tickets. Um, and we tried to test that. We realized that didn't work. Then we went into retail and then that's when we got like a lot of interest from like uh, basically fashion designers. At that time, you know, we, we knew that retail was struggling. It still is, uh, it is a tough area. And, you know, like, uh, you know, we saw a lot of like, uh, you know, like flash sales, massive warehouse sales that were like 75% off, 80% um, off. And, uh, or, you know, there's closing down signs everywhere. And, we thought, okay, this is a great way to, to try and solve like a pricing issue in the industry. And so that's how we began. Huge, Huge Jimmy. I love <laughs> it. Okay, so interesting. So talk, I'd love to know a bit more about the actual transition from your decision to go, you know what, this means so much to me. We've found a niche now. It's retail. Let's go for it full on. Talk to us a little bit about that transition from... Yeah, straight into your business from corporate. Yeah, I actually can't describe why I was so into it. Mm. It, it was almost like it was primal. <laughs> so, like, we had the idea. We were, you know, playing around with it for, on the weekends and uh, after hours. And then something just happened. Like, I, it just consumed me. Mm. And so, um, I, you know, like, my work was really really understanding. I was very transparent about what I was doing. And uh, initially I was allowed to work four days a week. Oh, wow. So, you know, like I'd use those days to just go out and talk to customers or, you know, retailers and, and consumers. Um, I remember like, you know, we used to fly out and like we go to Sydney and everyone, the whole team will come back on the Thursday night. I'd stay on the Friday and, wow. you know, interview more designers and stuff like that. And, um, and then it got to a point where, all I could think of was a cargo. And, and then I realized that like, it was unfair on, on my team that you know, I was doing four days a week and like, my heart was no longer in it. And it was, it's such a high performing kind of environment. Uh, you really do need to dedicate yourself to, to deliver good work to your clients that like, if you're not, not there um, or not fully there, it, it's just going to compromise, uh, you know, the, the team and the client. So um, uh, I was fortunate to get, uh, what would it get? like annual leave. Oh, yeah. It's not an annual leave. I, yeah. I got like, like, was it like a career break? Ah. Yeah. So I did a career, one year career break. I formally resigned 10, 10 months wow. into it. Yeah. So that's, Huge. that's the transition. Yeah. What pushed you over the line after 10 months? 
Yeah, we'd, we'd started to get some, some early traction, you mm. know, like, um, just trying to think. Yeah, so we- a while we'd, back now. Yeah, it's a while back. Yeah, <laughs> Testing so, you. Yeah, so this is back in um, late 2015. 15, yeah. yeah. And we just launched our, our beta mm. platform and we had some actually pretty good kind of like sales through February, March. And um, yeah, that was a, oh, actually we got funding as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so we got angel investment, um, we raised $200,000 from that, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So interesting, I'm pushing on, I guess, on these questions because I think so many of us come to this point in our careers, you know, whether it's professional, whatever it is we may be doing, for business or for those of us who haven't yet made that transition, you know, we come to almost this crossroads where we're like, do I want to keep doing the thing that I loved, you know, maybe at the beginning or maybe I didn't even really love, I just did it because that was what I was supposed to do. Or do I go off and actually do the thing I care about, build that up and see where it goes. Um, And I think it's something that we toy, it's something that I definitely toyed with. It's something that you know, so many of us are told, just be grateful for the opportunity you have to work at this company with this or, you know, whatever it may be. And I think so many of us struggle to kind of see the light and, and kind of make the leap. So I guess my question to you is, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who are experiencing that right now, who are kind of toying with these two ideas? I know I really want to go off and do this, but I've got to stay in a secure job or I've got to, you know, who am I to leave? What advice would you give? Yeah, you could, you could like not, you don't have to dive in mm. um, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm. So, you know, like uh, you can have the, you can have a side hustle and that's one way to, to, to basically test whether, you know, whatever your idea was or is, is something that like, you know, you enjoy doing and has legs, you know, like people actually, like it is a viable business. Uh, that's that's a really good way to to kind of like test um things like career break are great like you know if you've sorted out your own finances you're comfortable with not having you know like a salary yeah for some some extended period of time uh to to allow you the time to 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 really pursue you know your like you know whatever you want to want to do full time then i think that's a great way to do it too you know, I think there's we're we're in a pretty fortunate country where like there's a lot of safety nets. Um, the worst that can happen isn't so bad. So, like, yeah, I think it's it's really it's really like putting yourself in a in a position where you that the risk is is comfortable enough mm-hmm. that you you can jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like you you should know like whether you know your your current job or this new business is you know you you probably know which one you want to pursue it's so interesting i I love this kind of conversation (laughs) um awesome okay look jimmy so then after you'd started the kegu you dived headfirst into that and then i think it was only about two years after that that you started your second and then third venture so talk us through those early days of Akegu and then I guess the idea for what is now your business and the other business you just sold. Yeah, so the just so got acquired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Akagu was basically yeah, like the training ground yeah. essentially like any and every mistake possible we made. We it's weird because then, you know, like I, I still made the decision to, <laughs> to, 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 <laughs> do to it leave. Again. <laughs> uh, yeah, and do it again yeah, and again. again. Um, but like, you know, we'd, you know, like unfortunately my, my friend who was my co-founder left mm. uh, probably four months into it. Um, when we got angel investment, I was under the illusion that, you know, mm-hmm. I had to hire people. So like I just hired a lot of people and at one stage we had like 11 people working on Okagu and that was just mayhem. That was chaos. <laughs> like I had no idea what I was doing and now have, you know, 11 other people that also had no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was, that was crazy. Ultimately, you know, the demise of Okagu 
was that you know we mm. we'd run out of money mm. we we tried to build this platform that was just like way too complicated um we didn't have to do so from from a product perspective we made that mistake um and then there was all these other things that didn't didn't quite work work out as well uh towards the end of akagu something interesting happened we realized that you know we were trying to solve a pricing issue in the fashion industry and we realized that pricing was only the tip of the iceberg mm. there was so much more that was not right about the fashion industry mm. um you know from 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 akagu more and more fashion designers came to us wanting to sell their products that had a sustainable and ethical focus and um and then it happened from the our customer side too constantly requesting hey like who are the other like can you bring more ethical brands you know this is a great platform to to find indie brands or like um but not only indie brands but indie brands that had like a ethical and sustainable focus so so that was a huge learning for us mm. and you know we we didn't have much money left and we decided to then we knew that like we couldn't keep building try to build this you know auction platform and we at that same time we also started to build the early version of Syncio oh. so because of a limitation around our platform not being able to allow i guess the designers to log in and then upload their own products to and set their own auctions we'd created a api that integrated their inventory onto our platform the decision around that was so that it make it easy for the brands to work with us and then also um you know it make it so much easier for ourselves as well like the like we we often sell things that are sold out so so end of akagu we're like let's let's stop building our own platform we have this inventory api that works really well it integrated to shopify stores because more than 60% of our um designers were on shopify by then i was so fascinated about ethical and sustainable fashion still am that like it made sense for me like from a values perspective to move and pivot to that and just solely focus on that scrapped our technical tech technical platform just basically set up on shopify everything was built you know like check out all that kind of stuff and then use our inventory api to then work with ethical brands and um so that was a transition to to effi essentially and we then quickly built up like a pretty successful marketplace mm. where we had more than 50 brands and probably one of the bigger ethical fashion marketplaces in a very short period and and it was all kind of like uh, a big player to that was was that internal api so so that was really good by then um the start of synco was done was actually like wasn't a decision from 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 the team mm. to to push like uh to 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 push publicly it was actually from our like the designers from effi that gave us such great feedback on synco that they wanted to use it for themselves so they had the same issues with inventory with their other retail partners and other marketplaces that I work with and they were constantly asking me hey like this synco or you know this internal api that you've built why don't you push it public and put it on the app store or something so then all of us can just anyone can use it mm. <laughs> and we were like oh that's a lot of work but then it's just one of those again mm. like we're just like why not let's just do it mm. and then we pushed it out onto the apps the shopify app store this was december 2017 now mm. and and then that's how synchro started for at least 6 months that was just really um side project mm. and it was just there and it was kind of growing about itself but like our focus was on effi the only reason why we like i'd had to kind of like step back from effi and focus on synchro was you know last year in 2018 we applied for melbourne accelerator program i applied for both startups they chose synchro ah 
And uh, one of the requirements for that is I have to focus and commit full time on Cinco. And that was the, the separation. So fascinating. I think, Jimmy, what I love about you is your ability to keep building even when there's like a roadblock. So for example, after a Keiku, I mean, you quit your job for that. You know, most people will have seen that kind of demise of it as, oh, you know what? I gave it a good shot. You know, I, I went out there, I gave it my order, I quit my job, I did the whole Shazam and, you know, it didn't work out all well. Let's just go back into, you know, what's comfortable. But with you, you know, time and time again, it's just, you know what? No, let's just go a bit further, go a bit further. And then, you know, out of nowhere, Two years later, it's like two businesses just came off the back end of that failure, you know, or that first learning curve, I should say. So I guess my question to you is, where does that come from for you? You know, where does that ability to just get past the roadblocks come from? And do you think it's something that can be developed? Yeah, it probably came from just my upbringing, my childhood. Mm. Yeah, I think just surviving. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that plays a big role. Stubbornness is probably a big one as well. I think I just refuse to lose in a sense. Um, yeah, I, I just felt like I, like I just couldn't. Like, I, think, I think you have to be also really optimistic mm-hmm. uh, in a very stubborn way sometimes as well yeah. where like, you, just look for, you just look for openings. You look for opportunities and you know, that, that gives me a lot of motivation and that gives me a lot of momentum so even though like you know the ship is like burning yeah, <laughs> and it's literally. sinking and like, like you know you're going like, down with yeah. it yeah <laughs> i was like oh wow but what if we like i just figured out like you know like you know like the flag or something like, <laughs> yeah. like it's still like it's, it's you know like there's something there or you know there's things that will allow me to remain optimistic mm. and positive uh whether that can be trained mm. yeah i think so yeah so Without knowing, like, there are certain aspects to, to that that are, you know, like, qualities of being open-minded. Mm. I, I'm fortunate that that, you know, like, that has helped me with the, like, with the startups that I've been, that I've built. I'm not saying that, like, I'm completely open-minded to everything, yeah, but, like, you know, from that perspective, uh, I have been, and that can be definitely, you know, that can definitely be trained or built. Mm. Yeah. How do we become more open-minded? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I probably had to go through difficulties Mm. in, in life and somehow come out of it with, with a positive mindset and realize that, you know, things, don't always go the way you, you want it or expect um, or people don't react the way that you expect and, and then you just go, why? And then you realise, okay, they're different people. It's like a different uh, circumstance that you can't control. That, I think that has helped me, but like, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, like uh, I, my memory escapes me, but there is a good book. I think it's, Oh, I can't remember, but um, we'll when put it in comes the to you, we'll put in, yeah, we'll yeah. Put in the show notes. Everyone, watch out for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and there's probably like you know, there's like probably like good role models out there. There's there's a lot of people out there that you could learn from. Probably listening to this podcast helps, you know. And actually, yeah, like things like you know, like listening to this podcast and um, trying to to contact the people that you interview, like. You know, they're all like, you know, have got similar qualities and have gone through some sort of adversity and have remained, you know, focused and open-minded and probably more empathetic through those experiences. So hopefully that answers it. I love it. How much do you think going out on your own, creating these businesses, failing once, but then using that to create successes, how much do you think that that shaped you as a person? Oh, it's shaped me like fundamentally. Mm. Yeah. Like it's really humbled me. Yeah. I mean, I talked about how like, you know, like my childhood has shaped me, but the last, you know, what was it? Like 2015 onwards 
it's been maybe five years, four yeah. or five years. Yeah. Like my learning and you know experience has just re- like it feels like twenty years yeah. worth. Yeah. Um, it, it really condenses a lot of you know uh, life learnings into a short period. So even a cargo, you know, two years um, gone through co-founder split. Uh, hiring heaps of people, firing lots of people, failing business, you know, like, um, and that really, that really challenges you mentally and physically. And so, like, from that, I, I re- like, you know, I, I then, you know, burnt out, um, suffered panic attacks, um, probably had some sort of, some sort form of depression. And, um, you know, you, you realize that, okay, like you can't keep going this way, especially if you want to keep, you know, like pursuing, you know, your dream of like your own business and all that kind of stuff. So in that period, I learned a lot about nutrition, about like, you know, physical health, but also mental health, Mm -hmm. Um, got into philosophy, uh, mindfulness, all of those type of things, just to, just so that like, you know, it's a buffer to to such a, such a pressurized, Mm. Um, environment that you put yourself in. Mm. I so appreciate you sh- you sharing that with us. And I think I, I just could not agree more. I think so many of us, and we talk about this a lot in the show, but so many of us see these founders or these owners of companies and businesses and we just idolise them. You know, we just say, yeah. oh, we just want to be them and be there and they're on their own time, they hire people, whatever, they're the boss, whatever you want to call it. And it's so funny that when the tables have turned or when you – you're in that position, actually the experience is totally different to everything that people kind of think it would be or even perhaps that you thought it would be. And I think that's, it's just such a pivotal time for us to develop personally and it's it's clear that you did. Um, So I guess as we start to come to the close of today's episode and to start to kind of culminate everything that you've been through, Jimmy, and all the awesome stuff you've been able to achieve. One of my final questions is, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who see the shiny, you know, the, the, the founder up there and they just think, oh my goodness, like I just wish I could be them or, you know, or but I just don't have the courage to go out there on my own. What, what advice would you give about this journey that you've experienced to date? Yeah, well, from my own experience, you really appreciate that the process mm. is a lot more fulfilling and more and much richer to to your life experience than the actual destination. So everything that I've spoken about, you know, like I, I actually find it, like even the, the, the negative and the, the failures and all that kind of stuff, they're all kind of, you know, seen in a, in, a, in a somewhat positive light. You know, they're kind of like things that I had to go through. And without that, you, you know, you, you, you don't grow from it. So, it's, I mean, the fun part is that, like, if you enjoy the process and you get there, the... The sort of like ups, like the sort of bonus is that you become like a, you know, that successful entrepreneur that you see in the magazines and all that kind of stuff, right? Like that, that's the kind of the bonus. But like the real fulfilling side of the thing, side of things are actually in the nitty gritty, in the process, the behind the scenes where no one hears about or no one sees. Like if you can enjoy that, then like, you know, that that's actually that's kind of like the goal. Oh, I love it. Oh, well, look, Jimmy, it's been, it's been a huge four and a half, five years since you've dived into this world of business. You know, you've gone from strength to strength. You know, you've participated and been selected for the Melbourne Accelerator program last year. And, you know, now you're a voice to, to so many young entrepreneurs out there who, who want to learn from you and want to, and want to kind of figure out how they can do it themselves. And so for that, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for that because we do really appreciate seeing people like yourself going after what they want. So it's really cool to see and we really do appreciate you for that. 
Well, thanks so much, Michelle. It's been a privilege to be on this podcast. Oh, so nice to hear. <laughs> awesome. So look, our final question is how we finished all of our interviews here at the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think, I think everyone has a right to pursue what they're most passionate about. And the unfortunate thing in this world is that the vast majority won't, won't have the opportunity to do that, whether it's through um, you know, circumstances that they don't control, but also just from their own self-limiting beliefs. If everyone can, you know, if everyone is pursuing the, something that they're most passionate about, imagine how different this world would be. So it's, I think it goes back to, you know, like um, problem solving and, and the importance of that. It's, it's about fulfilling your own life, but also if you're doing something that is, you know, you're most passionate about, you're, you're generally going to push humanity forward. I love it. Jimmy, ladies and gentlemen, we have had a blast. Thank you so much. Where can people learn more about you and Sinkio? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Jimmy Zong. Like, just hit me up, uh, send me a connection. I'm going to accept and <laughs> we can chat. Uh, with Sinkio, you can find us on www.sinkio.co. And um, yeah, those are the two main channels. Yeah. Awesome. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Jimmy. We're ha- we've had a blast. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at The Peers Project. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>